The Lord be with you, friends. My name is Jenna. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. The other day, I happened to come across an old journal of mine. In fact, the oldest journal of mine that I have. And I'm, and I'm not really a typical diary keeper journaler, but I am a prayer journaler. I write to God in my journals. And this book that I discovered was my very first one, age 10. And I remember going to the store with my mom. She was the one who introduced me to the idea of prayer journaling, picking it out, picking the one with black pages, because then I got to write on with a white gel pen. Um, Super cool. And let me tell you, the treasures in its contents are endless. I'm going to try to contain myself for you, but I do want to share a little bit. My very first entry, June 7, 2001. I'm so sorry for everything I did wrong today and in the past weeks, months, and years. (laughs) And a few days later, I add, I'm so sorry that I mocked Shane for having prayed for a finger skateboard. Thank you for forgiving me. Shane was my younger brother and at the time an eight-year-old. Later, I don't even know, I, I don't know why I'm telling you this. Later I found this. I pray that Shane is writing in his prayer journal. I want him to be righteous, not some fool that hates to pray and spends his time in church drawing stuff. Any other older sisters in the room? Anyway, June 22, 2001. You know I just love Harry Potter books, but do you want them for me? Please make me desire less for them, if not. From November, please make Ben like me. My first prayer for a returned crush affection, maybe, but certainly not the last. And one more good one. Lord, how can I put Satan down? Give me ideas, please. Now that's all just good, clean, fun. At least I had fun reading back on that. But here's why I'm exposing myself in such a way to you today. Last week, Monday, as I was scanning through my entries, I came across one that puzzled me. June 12, 2001. Dear Lord, will there be yet another 42 generations of mine or more until you come again? I really want Jesus to come in my lifetime, but I cannot always have what I want all the time. 42 generations? Oddly specific. It was about at that point that I put down my walks through memory lane with this journal and turned to start preparing to preach the text for today. Matthew 1. And a light went off. Here's what I mean. Listen to this. Matthew 1, 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Aram. Aram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nishan. 
Nishan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asaph, Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. Salathiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Zadok, of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, Eliezer, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations of Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my question for you, depending on how good at math you are, is... What does 14 generations plus 14 generations plus 14 generations equal? The answer is 42. Dear Lord, will there be yet another 42 generations or more until you come again? And all of the preteen drama and friends and boys in all of the older sisterness that I probably still channel today in more ways than I'd like to admit, in the reality of my depravity and my fixation with sin, something particularly beautiful emerges here. Jesus longing, God waiting. And my husband, Keenan, while he's gone to church his whole life, he's only recently been introduced to the rhythms of the church calendar and so maybe like him on a day like today you're thinking advent okay what's the big deal what does it all mean the word advent of course comes from points to the word arrival and so in this season of arrival we are waiting for an arrival the arrival of the one our souls long for the only one who can fill our deepest longings and heal our deepest woundings. And so even on December 25, as we'll remember his arrival in human form, in the form of an infant taking on human flesh, we still, though, have the sense that not all is, is, is 
quite right. Not all things are as they should be. And so we still look forward to the one, that one, Jesus, who will come again someday in 42 generations, perhaps, or more or less. So keeping that all in mind, there's a way forward that I'd like us to consider taking together this morning. First, the waiting doesn't always make sense. But second, there's, always, there, there's also something to consider in it. The waiting doesn't always make sense, but there's something to consider in it. The waiting doesn't always make sense. Believe it or not, I don't just say that anecdotally based on my own life experiences or what I know of yours. I say that because of the text we just read. This generational list represents waiting. And quite honestly, there are some things in this list that just simply don't make sense. First thing, right off the bat, we know, like for a fact, that there were more than 42 generations between Abraham and Jesus. Matthew just straight up skips generations in his retelling. And this is not something that Jewish people for whom he was writing this book, this is not something they would have missed. They knew their ancestors like some of you can recite the U.S. presidents. Was it that Matthew just wanted the perfection of, of 14 three times? Was he forgetful? Did he want to X out that certain great-grandpa off the record? I don't know. Additionally, beyond skipping generations, he makes slight edits to and changes to the actual names of certain fathers. Just wrong. <laughs> And yeah, we can make guesses why, but all in all, for our purposes, the waiting doesn't make sense. Second, you may have noticed there are women included in this genealogy. And it doesn't take rocket science to know that in first century Israel, Israel um, they weren't exactly prone to giving women status or acknowledgement. And, and to be generous, it wasn't exactly their fault. It was just a cultural thing at that time. Women were only ever included in genealogy lists if their inclusion would add some sort of dignity or purity to the family line. But here we have prostitutes and Gentiles. As opposed to model matriarchs, they're kind of like the anti-matriarchs. The waiting doesn't always make sense. And then the biggest blunder of the whole thing, in my opinion, is the glaringly obvious fact that this genealogy is fiction. And I don't mean that the people weren't real or that they weren't, weren't related or something like that. I'm, I mean that this is Joseph's family line. Jesus, biologically, was the son of God through Mary's family line. This isn't even Jesus' biological history. The waiting doesn't always make sense. On this first Sunday of Advent, I promise I'm not just trying to blow the whole thing out of the water, really. I happen to think that while I'm being 
sort of sensationalist about the whole thing right now. The gospel writer did have a good reason for curating the list in the way that he did. But for now, let's just be honest. Sometimes the waiting doesn't make sense. That makes me wonder what your version of that is. What's your version of doesn't make sense in the waiting right now? Maybe it's the longing for in the absence of a relationship, a partnership, holidays. They're the worst for that. Aren't these desires that God gave me? Or you're in a time of, shall we say, vocational discernment, or to put it bluntly, unemployment, or uncertainty about what kind of occupation would even be right. Doesn't God want me to have purpose in my work? And then there's the the walking through, the diagnosis, the treatment. Doesn't God call himself healer? And maybe, maybe for you, everything's fine. On the surface, things are good, but we are, all, all of us, well, maybe not you. I don't know where you find yourself today, but us here locationally in Holland, we're staring right down the barrel of a long, gray Michigan winter. I have a happy light on my Christmas list this year. There has to be more, right? Didn't God say he wanted life to the full for me, for all of us? I'm not here to make meaning of your waiting because I don't know what that meaning would be. Sometimes we have clarity of the purpose of our times of waiting. Sometimes we look back at those times and and have clarity coming from there. And sometimes we never get any clear answers in those seasons of wilderness and wandering because the waiting doesn't always make sense. Now, this is kind of a bleak way to start a sermon, which is why I want to keep going, because even though that all is true, there's also more to the story, because with God, there's always more. There's always more to the story. And today, for us, that looks like something to consider in it, in the waiting, someone to consider How many names did we listen to in that list? On and on they go, 42 plus generations of names that you never heard of and probably don't need to remember. Abinadab and Nishan, Asaph and Jotham, Abiod and Eliakim. And what's the point? Well, all of that waiting, all of those names and those generations get us to Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. I'm going to go all Sunday school on you today. I figure that's okay because it's been a long enough time for most of us. And I want to posit that in the waiting, the something to consider is Jesus. Is that possible? In your life, in, in the thing of waiting that feels most alive in you right now. Could you consider Jesus? 
I also want to say that I, I don't want to do anyone the disservice of limiting the experience of waiting to our intimate personal lives as real and important and consuming as those may be. Jonathan mentioned it already. Can, can we talk about the shooting in Colorado? Can we talk about the earthquake in Indonesia? Can we talk about another year of election divisiveness on an off year? It's, it's not going to make sense if not for Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, our friend Christy Desaro was here um, visiting from her hometown in Joss, Nigeria, where she works as a missionary, a pastor, a community leader in the place where she calls home and grew up. And we spent, <clears throat> while she was here, we spent some time talking about her life and we also meandered into, the com uh, into conversation around the kidnapping that happened a number of years ago with, um, with young girls being kidnapped, school girls by the Boko Haram. Among them was, is Leah, who was 14 at the time. She refused to denounce Jesus in her life. And so they kept her, and they've kept her because she won't give up her faith in Jesus. And through these last five years that they've had her, she's undergone tremendous violence, some of it resulting into the birth of two children of her own. Christians in Nigeria will sometimes hear word of her and, and they'll spread the word to each other. Leah is still alive. And so they keep praying for Leah. And now I do too. Somewhere in this conversation, I said to Christy, listen, I can maybe wrap my mind around a moment, a, a moment of claiming Jesus as Lord and not backing down. If the Lord would give me the grace, I hope he would in a moment like that. But it's been five years. She's a teenager. How has she held strong for five years under such violence? I doubt she has a Bible with her. What keeps her from denouncing Jesus now after all this time? Well, Christy affirmed that no, she has no Bible. It's just her. And the word of God that was placed deep within her by God's grace, in her formation as a child, and now Jesus. It's, it's not going to make sense if not for Jesus. Maybe Jesus should be considered. Oh, and by the way, the gospel writer of Matthew was really intentional with every subtle yet obvious shift that he made in the historical record of Jesus's line. Yes, true, not direct bloodline, but spiritual ancestry. He knew, he knew the list was different. He knew it was strange. But isn't that the whole point? The story of Jesus, God born in the most helpless form of a baby to a virgin? If, you're here, if, if you've been hearing this story since childhood, 
It might go, those things might go in one ear and out the other. But let's remember, this story is a lot. It's a lot to be considered, and it's a lot to be believed. And looking back on the strangeness we have in this genealogy of the list of the generations who have gone before, Matthew seems to be saying, you think that's crazy? Just wait. Just wait till you hear what's next. And maybe the craziest part about it all is that this genealogy seems to go hand in hand with with what the Apostle Paul would later write in Galatians, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So it points to Jesus, and it it points to you, to your story, to your waiting, whatever it is you bring to the table today. So maybe there's a way for you to consider that it could all make sense in Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense. If there's ever a time to consider it, it's now. It's Advent. The arrival of hope that it can all make sense in Jesus for whom we wait. For you and your circumstance, does it feel foolish to hope? For Leah in captivity, continued captivity, is it futile to think that it could all make sense in Jesus? For each shooting, each natural disaster, in a world that just keeps waiting for the other shoe to drop, is it worth it to hope in Jesus? I'm blessing the archive of Twitter this week for a man named Matthew, his handle is at Crow's Fault, who dropped a sick word on hope earlier this year, and you're not going to want to miss this. People speak of hope as if it is this delicate and ephemeral thing made of whispers and spider's webs, it's not. Hope has dirt on her face, blood on her knuckles, the grit of cobblestones in her hair, and just spat out a tooth as she rises from another go. Let's go, Matthew. Thank you. He didn't know he was preaching. He was. If that's what considering the hope of Jesus feels like to you or most of the time, some of the time or most of the time, you're not alone in that. You've got 42 generations behind you waiting on the one to come and countless more who still wait. This time for hope to be fully realized one day. And if my 10-year-old self has anything to say about it, well, I'll be here for it. But that's Advent. You might recognize the name Tish Harrison Warren, sorry, Tish Harrison Warren, who is a priest in the Anglican Church. And a few years ago, she wrote this in an opinion piece in the New York Times. To practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness we find in the meantime. That's it. So even when the waiting doesn't make sense all the time, can you consider Jesus in it? The other week, 
I had the immense privilege, privilege of baptizing my one-year-old son, Thomas. And some of the words that were spoken over him in that moment were these. It was for you that Jesus came into the world. It was for you that he died and for you that he rose again. All of this he did for you, even though you know so little of it now. And isn't that true? It's true for him. <laughs> but it's true for you. No matter where you are on your faith journey, let's face it, you know so little of what Christ has done for you and the ways he longs for you. And whether you see it now or not, he is the one our souls long for. He is the only one who can, 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 can fill our deepest longings and heal our deepest woundings. So can you consider Jesus? Jesus who meets us now at this table. Jesus who gave his very body and blood so that you might have life someday, yes, but first and foremost here and now. Consider Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to now take um, the time you need to gather the elements, some form of bread and juice. As you hear Jesus say these words to you, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you.